The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Let's go ahead and look at the book of Titus, just to bring you up to speed, especially those of you who haven't been with us. We're going through the book of Titus, only three chapters, a short epistle that Paul wrote at the very end of his life, his culminating his 30 to 40 year ministry as an apostle of the churches, as a church planter. And he's writing this short little letter to an associate of his that he'd been training for years, Titus. And Titus and Paul have the privilege of going on this island in the Mediterranean called Crete, and the gospel got there. It was a remote place, and we don't know exactly when the gospel got there. It was either around the time of Pentecost or maybe later when Paul was able to stop there a couple of times or other Christians brought the Christian message there. And there were little house churches apparently budding up all over the place on this very populated island back in Paul's day out in the Mediterranean. And these little house churches had believers, but they were definitely underdeveloped. And so that's why Paul wrote this letter. He left Titus there on this island of Crete to help these Christians who were apparently were in many different little churches. And Titus's job, and we don't know how long he was commissioned to stay there, but long enough to do a lot of work there that was really uh, overwhelming. He had to put some leadership intact and train up elders and pastors and get some structure and stabilization in these house churches there. They had some problems there in many of these churches from immaturity, underdevelopment, uh, maybe a lack of scripture, and also godly older mentors, in addition to the fact that they lived in an incredibly pagan culture there on the island of Crete. Uh, we know that the island of Crete was known by way of reputation of being very compromised, very immoral. As a matter of fact, uh, we saw in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, it said that Cretans are always... This is from one of their prophets, uh, supposed prophets, who was actually from Crete, recognizing that the reputation of the island of Crete was not good, and the Cretans who lived there, incredibly ungodly, so much so that verse 12 says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That was their reputation there on the island of Crete. So this is a tremendous challenge to be a Christian in that culture. It would be like trying to be a Christian in many ungodly cultures... Uh, today that are either very immoral or very hostile to Christianity. And they're all over, they're even in the United States, all over the world. So things really haven't changed. So, But the gospel was alive, it was thriving. God was saving people. There were churches uh, that had sprouted up and now they needed direction. And Titus's job is to provide that godly direction to stabilize these churches. First, starting with getting godly leadership intact and training up elders and pastors to lead those churches because... Every, you know, as your leaders go, so goes any organization. That's also true of the church. We talked about that. So that was the first thing. Raise up godly qualified pastors to lead these churches that were having problems. And then at the same time, there were those in leadership who didn't belong there for whatever reason, trying to usurp power or boost their own ego or gain their own following. And they were false teachers and creating all kinds of problems and division. And Paul said the next thing you need to do, Titus, after getting godly leadership, is remove the false teachers, or at least the teachers who aren't qualified that are there. They have to be supplanted and removed. So start there with the leadership. You do that, uh, that is huge. That's foundational. That will actually go a long way with bringing healing and stabilization. Then he makes a transition into chapter 2, and now he's dealing with uh, the internal body of Christ, the Christians themselves, saying in, in light of the challenging situation and environment that you have, 
uh, there are certain standards that Christians need to live by to bring stability in their individual lives and also in the life of the local church. And so uh, Paul begins to delineate or list by demographic groups of people that need to be reminded of the priorities they need to keep in mind as they live the Christian life. And the demographic that he breaks it down into, starting in chapter 2, is by age. Age group. He starts with the older men. Okay, older Christian men. Here's how you need to live. And here are your very few priorities. Just focus on a few. And that's what we saw last week. Older Christian godly men need to focus on the following and make a habit or a lifestyle of the following virtues. And then this week we're going to see, after he addresses the older godly men, he says the older godly women in the congregations. Here's what you need to focus on. And make that a consistent pattern of your Christian life. And then after he addresses the older godly women in the churches, then he goes on to the younger women who are believing in the churches. And then after he addresses the younger women, we'll look at the younger women next week, uh, then he addresses the younger men. Younger men, here's what you need to focus on. Just a few things. There's a lot of things we could focus on, but he just gives the priorities. Start here. And then after addressing the younger men, he goes on, to another category of people that we'll look at. So that's where we're headed. So this whole chapter goes together, chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 15. It's all about where you're at, what season of life you're at as a Christian. And so there's application for everybody here. Today we're looking at older godly women, so let's go ahead and look at it. Picking up after the older, older godly men from last week. Follow along as I read, starting at verse 1. We'll just go up to uh, verse 5. Just by way of reminder, uh, Paul said to Titus, but as for you, Titus, the pastor, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Unlike the false teachers that he just talked about in chapter one. Then he makes his transition in verse two, where he starts addressing the groups of people. Verse two, older men. Okay, older men, older Christian men in the congregations, you need to do the following thing. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Boy, that's just short and sweet. We looked at that last week. Verse 3. Older women. That's the topic of the day today. Older women. Likewise, you are to be reverent in behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so the Word of God will not be dishonored. So we'll stop there. And today we're just going to zoom in on verse 3 and the first part of verse 4 where Paul is now addressing the older women. Last week we addressed the older men and we were reminded that to have a healthy church and a balanced church by God's design... Because God, by design, wants diversity in the body of Christ. There needs to be a balance of ages and generations in a given church. Because that provides just a beautiful stability. And we were thanking God last week that He has grown Grace Bible Fellowship to give us a balance in terms of age and people who are in their seasons of life. All the way from the little ones and the new births we're hearing about. And even uh, weddings that are on the horizon across the spectrum to older men of God and older women of God that God has given to our church, uh, which is, by God's design, a beautiful thing. So we thank Him for that. And so we talked about the older godly men last week. And I did 
after this, you know, remind us, can we identify an older godly man who was influential in your life or still is? Think about him. Pray for him. Maybe even send him a thank you. So uh, when we got home later last Sunday on the Lord's Day, I did ask my boys, so who were some... At first asked them if they were paying attention during the sermon. They said yes, which is kind of cool. And they actually got some answers correct, so that was good. Uh, and then we talked about, so who were some older... Uh, men. And then they said me, and I said, no, I'm a young guy. Let's go, let's go way older. Um, like really old. And then they, so they settled on grandpa. Uh, my father-in-law, and I said, man, that's awesome. So, uh, we prayed for grandpa last Sunday and also for the persecuted church. So just one practical application. Some of you actually told me you were able to do the same thing. That's wonderful. So let's go ahead and look at, uh, now moving on to the older godly women. My experience has been that, uh, very few women want to admit that they are older women. So I'm not going to push the issue. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to read the passage, talk about it, and let you decide who this applies to. Uh, but in your outline there, I put, uh, I just came up with five points trying to summarize this passage and, and help us think practically about what older godly women are supposed to be striving for by way of lifestyle. And I, I just, the one thing that I thought was interesting in reading this passage is how, why did Paul choose the few select attributes and characteristics for each age group that he did? Because there's a few. I mean, there's a lot of things you could put down of what makes a, a godly woman and because there's probably, you know, 12 to 15 attributes of the Proverbs 31 woman. And here he just picks a few. Why, why do you pick those? Uh, the only thing I can conclude is that these are the priorities. And these are things that should be common to all women everywhere in terms of being godly. These are like the fundamentals. These are the basics. You've got to get these down. And some of the struggles that go along with these, these are common to all women in terms of what they're struggling with in all churches and all times. That became very evident as I was reading through it and praying through it. So let's go ahead and look at these just basic priorities that should be true or at least an aspiring lifestyle for the older Godly women in our church. Okay, I lied. I've got to address and answer this question. Who is an older woman? We've got to answer that question. Somebody raised their hand. How brave of you. But uh, <laughs> who is the older woman? We mentioned last week, it's interesting, in 1 Timothy 5, it does list uh, women age 60 as in a widow indeed, an older woman. So if you're in the 60s, okay, that makes sense. But just in the way that these passages or the topics are just uh, compared to one another in parallel, because he talks about younger women, he compares or contrasts older women with younger women, and he basically, from the context, we can conclude that an older woman is a woman who's old enough to have grandchildren. That's what we clearly get from the immediate text here. So that gives you a little bit of a range in terms of age. Um, so we're, we're going to see that. So the older men are, older women are. Uh, compared to and contrasted with younger women who still have children in the home that they are raising. So an older woman, at a minimum, is a woman who has raised her own children and is now potentially the age of being a grandmother. So that's kind of the generic age category we're talking about. If you want to get really specific and see the picture of an older woman, look on your bulletin. There's Happy. There she is, 90 years old. She's 90, and she's, look, she's the only one looking at the camera. She loves the camera, but anyway. That's what Happy told me. She pointed it out to me, so she's proud of it. That's awesome. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at these 
characteristics and attributes uh, of a godly older woman. The first thing I put there was on number one. And by the way, he, he says there should be positive attributes in your life and negative ones. Things you should do and keep doing. And then there are things you should refrain from and stop doing. Positive and negative. So that's the balance. But the first one is a positive one. That's older godly women are to live sacred lives. Sacred. I'm using the New American Standard. It says older women in verse 3 likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Reverent. And that's pretty consistent in all the English translations. They use the word reverent there. Uh, it is a unique word. Typical word for holy in the New Testament is hagios, holy, which applies to every believer. Uh, but the word that Paul uses here is unique. As a matter of fact, it's, uh, it could be one that he kind of made up. Sometimes Paul did that. He'd make up a word to be very specific or make it very specialized. And he actually uses part of a word that means priestly. Uh, it comes from the word priest here in the word reverent. Not hagios, but hieros, which refers to uh, the temple and the priest. So literally, he's saying that the older women, older godly women, should be characterized by priestly-like behavior. He's getting really specific. Holy is just kind of too generic. He wants to get very specific. An older, godly, mature, focused woman of God that you should model your life after is one that has this priestly mentality. She's totally given to the work in the temple like a priest would in the Old Testament. So she's totally focused. She, she's seasoned in life and she knows what's important now. As she's closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, to heaven, to her home. So she's zeroed in and she knows the, the main priorities in life that matter and priestly work. What this is talking about, she has a ministry mentality. A ministry mentality, that's what it's talking about. That is a reverent, godly, holy, sacred, older woman of God. She's not uh, giving her time and attention to superfluous things or frivolous things or secondary things because she knows what is most important in life and she exhibits it on the inside internally in her thinking, her worldview, and especially in her actions as she fleshes it out day to day in her life, in her behavior. That is a godly, older woman. She lives a sacred life on a regular basis. So she's more concerned about ministry, church life. She knows that the church is the priority in God's world. And what I mean by that is she knows that she is reminded and knows that Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church in Matthew. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that the church will go on in perpetuity all throughout history and even into eternity. The church. She knows and is reminded from Timothy that the church is the pillar of God's truth, the steward of God's truth. And that Jesus Christ promised to perpetuate the church over and above any other institution. Eternally speaking. So she knows that the church is the hub and the priority and the center of what God is doing in the world in this generation, in this dispensation for the last 2,000 years and even into the future until Christ's coming. So the church is an absolute focal priority in her life did you know there are christians and there are christian women where the church is not really a priority in their life it's just kind of a sidebar it's an occasional thing it's um second to many other priorities they have in their life and that's sad to see and hopefully as they grow in their maturity and realize what's really important 
in life that the church is going to become more and more important in their life like these very focused, older, godly women who live sacred lives, who are ministry-minded, who are priests. They're like female priests. The ironic thing about that is that this word comes out of the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, women were not allowed to be priests. Only men were. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, women can be priests, not just any women, but every woman who's born again, a believer in Jesus Christ, is made a priest. Meaning you have direct access to Almighty God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a great truth. It's a liberating thing, an amazing thing, and a wonderful gift that Christ has provided for every believer and even for women. They have priestly abilities before Almighty God of the universe. And these wonderful, older, godly women, they model that in terms of their attitudes and their behavior. And they are focused primarily on serving Christ, His church. Everything else is secondary. Just a couple of women that I'm reminded of. Look at, go to Luke in your New Testament, to Luke chapter 2. Great example of an older godly woman who is actually a vivid illustration of this kind of mindset and lifestyle of an older woman. Her name is Anna. It's interesting that we're upon Christmas right now and the birth of Jesus Christ is introduced in the context of of two older godly people, an older godly man named Simeon and an older godly woman named Anna. And they're just kind of obscure. They come out of nowhere. They're introduced. We hear them say a few things and poof, we never see them again. And this amazing older lady, godly woman, Anna, she's, uh, if you look at chapter 2, verse 36 of Luke, Right after we meet Simeon, an older man, who'd been waiting for the Messiah for years and years, probably decades, finally got to see Jesus. And then there's this older godly woman who was ministry-minded, who was reverent in her behavior. And decorum, verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. And she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow the age of 84. So she's almost as old as happy. And then as a widow, the age of 84, she never left, get this, she never left the temple. Talk about focused. Serving night and day. She's serving among the saints night and day. Not serving herself. Not serving something secondary. It's serving the people of God night and day. With fastings. With prayers. That very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to Him all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So just a small little portrait of this amazing, kind of mysterious, older woman of God. So highly respected, so focused, so exemplary that God through His Spirit prompts Luke to put her in there for us to see and to remember for all the ages. What a wonderful little example. And I just thank God that God has given us here at GBF some of these older godly women who take ministry seriously. They take the church seriously. They are focused. They are serving. They're not just attending. They are serving. That key phrase. There's another one in the, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. We're not going to go there, but just uh, this incredible godly woman, another small vignette of this mysterious kind of woman who was uh, portrayed as a, a standout godly older woman. And she was characterized by washing the saints' feet. You know what that means? She's just totally given to service, to serving. Not just being a spectator, but to serving in a hands-on manner. That is the characteristic of a godly woman. 
Serving and not just serving, but serving the saints. Serving in the believing community. And that was true of Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. Amazing. Another amazing woman of God. Also known as Dorcas. I love that name. I wanted to name my first daughter Dorcas, but she didn't, my wife didn't like it. But anyway, um, and my daughter's thankful we didn't. Number one, older godly women are to live sacred lives. Let's go on to number two. Now he switches to a negative. First it was a positive, and now things that godly women should avoid. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossip. So he goes on to two negative things. They're kind of connected. They're not to be malicious gossips, and they're not to be enslaved to much wine. Uh, one translation says that uh, older women of God are not to be malicious gossips. Another translation says not slanders, slander. Slander and gossip, they're totally related. Those are good translations. So number two, older godly women do not slander others. This has to do with how you use your mouth. What kind of steward are you as a woman of God with your words? Well, this keeps coming up. This came up in the book of James. This comes up in Corinthians. This comes up when Paul, Paul commanding Christians and other apostles commanding Christians not to slander, not to gossip. Why does it come up in almost every New Testament book written by the apostles? Because this is a, pro, this is a universal problem in the churches. Gossip and slander. Just by way of reminder, I told you, Satan is not very creative. I mean, we can figure him out. He's powerful. He's deceptive. But he's kind of simplistic because he attacks churches, again, primarily in three ways, as we see in the New Testament. Through immorality, through false teaching, and through division. Slander and gossip fall under the category of division. This is in every epistle that Paul wrote. And he's writing to churches that he started. He planted that church, and even the Apostle Paul had problems with slander, gossip, and division in every church that he started and every church that he pastored. Why? Because every church is filled with sinful people. So it has to be continually addressed. I don't know if you've heard of that statistic. That's, it's pretty popular and when people do seminars talking about husbands and wives and men and women and men are di- and newsflash, men and women are different. Did you know that? I should write a book. Venus and Mars and make a lot of money. But anyway, so and one of the things that they often highlight statistically apparently is that you know men and women are different in many ways but one of those is that men and women are different verbally and apparently women are more verbal than men and apparently women speak more words per day than your average man this you know the statistics range in different numbers from men say five to seven thousand words a day and women say ten to fifteen thousand words a day i mean they say that all the time that kind of thing and so i've never counted to find out but that's popularly accepted. And so women are more verbal. And that can be a strength and it can also be a vulnerability or weakness depending upon your inclinations, your godliness, your sinfulness. So in terms of the priorities that Paul wants to focus in on for women, boy, one of the things that women need to rein in and get right is their stewardship of their mouth, their tongue, and their words. And they need to refrain from being malicious gossips and slanders. Because women are known for their words. With their many words, they're able to be an incredible comfort to their children. An incredible comfort and encouragement to their husband verbally. Teachers uh, speaking truth to their children and those that they're discipling with their words. And at the same time, 
The flip side is they can use their many words and do great damage. And in the church, many times, sinfully, it is reflected through gossip and slander. And so that's why Paul's making it a priority. An older, godly woman needs to be a careful steward of her mouth and her words in the church. She needs to be exemplary. Slandering is talking about somebody behind their back. No, slandering is talking about somebody illegitimately behind their back. And many times it's twisting the truth. So somebody who's prone to gossip and slander in the church is typified by being a very critical person, saying things illegitimately behind other people's back. They want to talk about other people's sins behind their back instead of talking about their own sins to the person that they're talking to. Talking about our own sins is a sign of humility before God, before others. Confess your sins to one another. They would rather uh, talk about other people's sins behind their back because that makes them, that lifts them up and makes them feel better if you can tear others down. And so Paul says to Titus, boy, the older godly women in the church, they have got to rein this in, master this and get this down. And there are, there are godly women who have this down and they are a breath of fresh air to the Christian community. They are a model. They are an example. They are to be followed. Uh, they are an encouragement. They aren't gossiping. They aren't slandering. They aren't bad-mouthed. Whining about other people behind their back. All that. Always talking about how they have been wronged. They are discontent people. They are insecure people. Uh, contrast that with a godly woman. A mature godly woman, when a godly woman is talking about another person behind their back, it is graciously, it's in an edifying manner. They are complimenting that person and acknowledging that person's strengths and what the grace of God has done in that person's life. Instead of slandering other Christians behind their back, they are writing encouragement notes. The exact opposite. Boy, how refreshing is that? That's a ministry that the Bible commands to the saints. Uh, one of those one another ministries. Encourage one another with Verbal words. One pastor puts it this way on this passage uh, of what a godly woman in this area is typified by. Quote, they refuse to listen to, much less propagate, slanderous or demeaning words about others. Just as men are more inclined to abuse others physically, women are more inclined to abuse others verbally, which can be even more destructive. Paul is not referring simply to unfavorable, idle chatter about a person, but as bad as, as bad as that is, malicious gossips translates diabolos in this passage. Diabolos. It's the word for devil. Don't, literally what it's, don't be a devil with your mouth. Malicious gossips in this passage translates diabolos, which means slanderer or false accuser, and is used 34 times in the New Testament as a title of Satan. Can you imagine? Don't be a mini Satan. Don't be a devil and a slanderer with your tongue, whom Jesus described as the father of lies, end quote, John 8, 44. So a godly older woman has made a practice and a discipline, and she's done this over the course of many years in her life. Little by little, she's developed this positive habit of not being a slanderer, not entertaining slander and gossip, not allowing other women behind people's backs to talk about others behind their back. And she's turned it into a very positive discipline of refraining from it, not tolerating it. And in contrast, she is speaking edifying words about people behind their back and especially to their face. She is edifying and encouraging 
uh, one passage on the mouth that I want to look at because the whole section is on our mouth and how we use it, which is really fitting. If you want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and following, it's a great reminder for all of us, actually. Uh, we were reminded in James of how hard it is to rein in and control that mouth. But with God's help and the Spirit of God and reminders and accountability from other people, we can bless others with our tongue and our words and our mouth and not be slanderers behind people's back. Creating division. By the way, that's one of Satan's number one tools to create division in the church. Uh, let's see. Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word. Oh, before that, verse 27, he says, do not let the devil have an opportunity through sinful behaviors and compromises. Warning, warning. Satan will use wrong behavior to take an opportunity to create division in the church, poison other believers, and some of that compromise has to do with our mouth. Don't let Satan go there. Don't give him an opportunity with respect to how you misuse words about people. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. That is a command. Well, what are unwholesome words? Well, but only such a word is good for edification. Only say words that build up and edify. Build up other people, not tear other people down. Only say words that build up and edify according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, that's the goal. Giving grace to those that you're speaking to, giving grace and mercy to those that you're talking about behind their back. That is the goal. That is godliness. That is love. The opposite is hatred. Boy, if you're a gossip and a slanderer, can't control your mouth and rip on people behind their back... You know what you're doing? Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You are grieving the Spirit of God. First, the Spirit of God that lives in you as a Christian, if you are a Christian. And then you're grieving the Spirit of God in the body of Christ. So this is really serious. By whom which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness... Why do people gossip, slander? What is the motive? Verse 31. Well, they've got bitterness. It's right there. Verse 31. Bitterness and wrath and anger. There it is. This is motivated by hanging on to unforgiveness, wrong assumptions, uh, not truth, hearsay, whatever else, and then it just goes, spins out of control. The older godly woman is not like that. She's the exact opposite. She is an absolute blessing. She is refreshing when she opens her mouth like the Proverbs 31 woman. So if you want to be an older godly woman and exemplary to others and bless the people around you and honor God with your life, then don't slander others. Let's go on to number three. What else is another characteristic about a older godly woman? Uh, here's another negative one. Older godly women are not controlled by alcohol. Not controlled by alcohol or literally enslaved to alcohol. This is one of those weird ones. I thought, wow, of all the things that you could pick, Paul, is this a problem for women universally? Uh, too much alcohol and whatever? That's one of the things I was thinking through and struggling through. Is like, wow, why did he pick this thing? But this does have to do somewhat of where uh, the church of the Cretans lived. They lived on the island of Crete, and they did have a problem with alcohol because verse 12 of chapter 1 said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It has to do with gluttony. And we know historically and even today in that part of the world, alcohol is readily available. It is readily uh, used in that part of the world. Older people were known to use alcohol because what does it do? It numbs you. And it numbs you to get rid of the, what do you, as you get older, sometimes you are confronted with, uh, sorrows in life, depression, uh, things that, uh, you had an idealistic view of life that you're frustrated by, hurts, sorrows, pains, whether emotional pains or even physical pains, and that alcohol numbs all of this. So this is very common. Or can be. You become dependent upon. 
alcohol to numb you of the realities and the hardships of life that you can't confront and face in the grace of God. So apparently this was a huge problem on the island of Crete. This alcohol that was read, that would, this would be like talking to a whole bunch of women who live in churches in Las Vegas or wherever, where you've got just a worldly lifestyle that is typical and these bad influences are readily available. They are everywhere. And they're easy to succumb to. So that's, that's a possibility of why Paul is addressing this. And he's, and the word he uses is very specific and unique. And he's saying, do not be older, the older godly women should not be enslaved to alcohol, dependent upon alcohol, addicted to alcohol. Uh, a parallel verse, Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. I always thought that was a strange, kind of weird contrast of comparing those two things. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And why do you pick drunk with wine? Well, literally in the Greek text, it says, do not be controlled. What does alcohol do? If you drink too much, it controls you. So the issue is, what controls you in your life? What is the controlling influence in your life? Alcohol, if you drink too much, becomes a controlling influence. That is the issue. And as a Christian and a godly Christian, you shouldn't be controlled by alcohol or any other outside ungodly influence. What needs to be controlling the Christian on a regular basis is the Spirit of God, isn't it? That's walking in the Spirit, depending upon the Spirit, praying to the Spirit, being in the Scriptures, being informed and controlled by God and godliness. But it's very easy to get sucked in and controlled by other influences in our life. And that's why Paul said, do not be controlled by any other influence, including alcohol, but rather be controlled by the Word of God and the Spirit of God in your life. It's interesting, in the Gospels, that same word, controlled, is used in reference to the Pharisees who were controlled by anger that they had toward Jesus. So the most dominant controlling feature or attitude in their heart, in their mind, that prompted their actions toward Jesus was hatred. That was the controlling influence. And that's the same word that he uses. So my question to you older women, or even younger women aspiring to be a godly older woman, is what is the controlling influence in your life? Is it alcohol? Is it some other substance? Is it your emotions? Is it your hormones? Is it your circumstances? Is it your frustrations? Is it your pet peeves? Is it your materialism? Is it your self-centered goals? Is it the Spirit of God? Is it the Word of God? Paul says that the godly older woman is to be controlled not by other influences that are ungodly like alcohol, but rather the Spirit of God. And this was a real issue. And this is a real issue. It's not just men who struggle with alcohol. I've known plenty of women growing up my whole life. I grew up in an unsaved home for 20 years. I saw alcohol everywhere, not just with men, with women as well. I had friends whose moms were alcoholics. Vivid memories of how their lives were destroyed. But older godly women, they are not controlled by alcohol, but rather virtues that are godly and the fruits of the Spirit and the Spirit Himself. So let's go on to number four. Another attribute and characteristic of older godly women is, and actually four and five go together. These complement one another. They're actually related to one another. But number four, older godly women teach what is good. Paul goes on, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or slanders, not enslaved or controlled by wine or other ungodly influences, but rather... They are characterized in an ongoing manner by teaching what is good. That's actually one Greek word. Teaching what is good. 
One Greek word. Teaching what is excellent, teaching what is good, teaching what is virtuous. One of the main points that Paul wants to make, if you're an older godly woman, you need to be teaching. Did you know that? So my question to you, if you're an older godly woman here at GBF today, who are you teaching? What is your teaching ministry? Because you need to have one because it's a command right here. Women need to be teaching. Well, I thought you said that women couldn't be pastors. Well, pastors aren't the only ones that teach. Women need to be teaching. Older godly women need to be teaching all the time as a lifestyle. And Scripture is very clear about who they're supposed to be teaching, who their audience is, how they're supposed to be teaching, what they're supposed to be teaching. And here's uh, just a quick survey from the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, points in light of this. Uh, to reiterate, women can teach. The Bible does not forbid women from teaching. As a matter of fact, women are commanded to teach right here. Older women need to be teaching. Um, they're commanded to teach. They are commanded to teach other women. That's important. Primarily, they're supposed to be teaching other women. So if you're an older godly woman here at this church at GBF on a regular basis, my question to you would be, evaluate your life as a godly older woman of Christ and who are you? what other woman of God are you teaching on a regular basis? What younger woman are you teaching? Because you need to have a teaching ministry. Uh, not only are you to be teaching other women according to Scripture, Proverbs 1.8, Proverbs chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and many other Proverbs I could list, old, uh, women of God and older women of God are to be teaching children on a regular ongoing basis. Did you know that most, if not all, the great, greatest men preachers in the history of the world were taught by a faithful mommy? We know that was true of Timothy, one of the most incredible men of God, and he was taught by Lois and uh, Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. What an incredible, awesome, solid foundation that his mom and his grandma were able to lay for him so that someday he would become an amazingly faithful pastor. So don't undervalue the stewardship responsibility that you have as a woman of God and the influence that you can have and make for the kingdom of God and people's individual lives. So women are to teach other women. Women are to teach children. Maybe right now, say you're a younger woman or you've got children at home. Guess, mommy, with children at home, guess who your number one students are supposed to be? Your children. That is priority number one. So you don't need to feel guilty about all the other things you're not doing. Boy, if God's given you children, that's, that is your priority. That is your focus. It starts there. You've got to be a faithful steward there first. Teaching your children. Uh, women can teach unbelievers. Did you know that? Through evangelism. Evangelism is teaching, right? It's disseminating truth. Can a, a woman evangelize a man? I think so. As a matter of fact, there's examples of it in the, new, in the book of Acts. So that would be the one exception where a woman could teach a man, I think. A woman of God can give the gospel to an unsaved man. That's teaching. Biblical, supernatural, eternal truth. What is their classroom? Well, one of the main classrooms for women, their classroom is their home, the domestic life. They should be the masters of life. And that's like the hub and the foundation of all of human society since the very beginning was the home. Before there was Israel, there was the home. Before there was the church, there was the home. And the woman and the mommy and the wife, she is the queen of the home, at least by God's design. And that is her classroom. Or it should be. Or at least the base of operations. Among other places as well. So that that's just an amazing 
gift and stewardship opportunity that God has entrusted to women and older women in the church are characterized by women of God who are giving of their life. They're not just sitting back. They're not just spectators. They're not just taking it all the time. They are serving. They are teaching. They are involved. They are hands-on. And it's continuous. It is deliberate. It is a lifestyle. And it's contributing specifically to the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So again, older women of God, who are you teaching? Younger woman of God, what woman of God is teaching you? Good question, isn't it? Let's go on to number five, which is totally related. Four and five actually go together. So number five, older godly women disciple younger women. So number four, that's kind of a generic general point, and then it gets more specific in point five and following. And then we'll look at some of the other more specifics next week as well. But uh, older godly women disciple younger women let's look at it there uh, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine teaching what is good in order that or so that or for the purpose of that they may encourage the younger women this is present tense ongoing this is a lifestyle this should characterize you if you are a woman of god you are either and continually have a teaching ministry to other younger women, or if you're a younger woman, you have somebody teaching, discipling, influencing you that is an older godly woman. By God's design. That's what this is saying. That's what Paul's saying. By the way, again, Paul uses a word that is not used anywhere else in the New Testament in verse 4. Encourage the younger women. So these translators are really, really had a difficult time of uh, trying to put into words exactly what Paul was saying in a way that we could really understand it in the English language. But he, actually what Paul does is he uses the word sensible when in your Greek, in your English New Testament where it says encourage the young woman, train the young women, urge the young woman, encourage, urge, train, that actually comes from the Greek word sensible. Teach them in such a way that they will be sensible people. That's what the emphasis is. Older women need to find younger women and teach them in such a way that the byproduct or result is that they will be sensible in their thoughts and in their behavior as younger women of God. So it's a very rare phrase that he uses, but it's a priority. So older godly women need to be discipling younger women. So here's a good question for you. Uh, older women of God, who are you Who are you discipling in terms of younger women in the church of Christ? Because that's what God requires. And then younger women, the question is, who's discipling you? Because you need somebody having an influence. And I don't mean, and disciple, boy, that's kind of a hard word to define and people understand it differently and people actually debate over that word. It just means teach, that's all. It doesn't mean somebody, uh, that you meet with two hours every Tuesday, uh, from nine to eleven every week without exception and you do it for the next fifty years together. That's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about is there an ongoing person who's a believer that is a regular influence in your life, that's modeling godliness for you, speaking godliness to you, is a friend of yours in Christ, you pray together, you share the word together, you share your lives together, there's some intimacy and trust there, and it really, the frequency of it doesn't really matter. But the question is, do you have somebody in your life speaking into your life that you can trust that's another older godly woman? That is a healthy thing. If you're married as a woman of God, your husband and you and your husband should be growing together and there's discipleship that goes on there and then there's other kinds of discipleship you should have in the church corporately but also this is very important for women to have another woman speaking into their life to some degree at some level it'll be very encouraging and again this is a healthy thing 
by God's design. One of the greatest benefits for younger women is the older godly women can give a younger woman perspective. Because many times she can get lost in the emotions and the duress of life with all her season of life, with the young kids and the bills and the marriage and the this and all the trials and uh, you lose focus and you lose perspective. And an older godly woman who's been down that road, she's been there, she's freed up, she's liberated. She doesn't have necessarily all the same things you're going through, but she's been there and she can speak wisdom precisely to you. She knows what you're going through right now. That's the benefit of it. Sometimes a husband can't do that. He blesses you in other ways, hopefully. So the older godly woman, her ministry of discipleship complements either the husband or somebody else that you have in your life. So every, so this is true of younger women and older women. You need other people in your life. We need, we can't be lone, the bottom line, we can't be lone ranger Christians, right? We are the body of Christ. Some of you might be thinking, well, wow, I don't have anybody in my life. Or I've tried and you're frustrated. Well, that's true. That happens, doesn't it? Or you need somebody in your life. So here, just to encourage you, you know where it needs to start. is you, First of all, you need to realize this is a New Testament principle. You can't compromise it and it needs to be a reality in your life. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian and grow. At least the way God wants you to. So, first thing, acknowledge this is a need in your life if you don't have it. Number two, pray very specifically and ask God to send the right woman into your life, the right godly older woman. And if you're an older godly woman and you're not discipling anybody, pray the same thing. God, send me a younger woman that I can uh, develop and cultivate a friendship with. So it starts with praying and asking God very specifically because this is the will of God. And I guarantee you, if you're a Christian and you pray in sync with the will of God, God will answer your prayer very specifically. I've seen it too many times. That's the promise of Scripture. I don't have anybody in my life. Then pray, dear God, Send me uh, someone that I can disciple. Dear Father, send me somebody that can mentor and disciple and teach me as an older woman of God. So first thing, pray. Number two, then you need to pursue. You can't sit around and twiddle your thumbs. You've got to be proactive. That is the Christian life. That's a very important principle. Can't sit around, oh, woe is me. Nobody pays attention to me. Nobody comes over and talks to me and visits me when I sit here like a bump on a log. Well, Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know what that means? Be proactive. You take responsibility. You be active. There's some onus on you, Christian, and on me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have a will. We have a responsibility. We've got to carry it out. We've got to take action. I love the next verse, though. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you. See, God is the one that enables you to do it and continue and to pull it off. His supernatural grace and enablement. It's awesome. So we're not left on our own. So first pray very specifically and then pursue. Pursue older godly women or you older godly women. Pursue. Look around for younger women. Get to know them. Make phone calls. Invite them to coffee. Invite them to your house for tea. Whatever you need to do. Ask somebody else. Uh, if they know of any women in the church that need uh, some encouragement, I can tell you right now as a pastor, there are. There are younger women who need a mentor. There are older women that need to be mentoring. So there are candidates out there. And you don't need to focus on 17. I've got 17 women I'm discipling. Or I've got 19 mentors. No. Well, let's start with one. One stable, ongoing, faithful discipleship relationship. Just start there. And God can, you know what? He can really grow that deep. It's not the breadth. It is the depth. Start there. 
be a blessing. So pray to God, pursue people, and then persevere. Don't give up. Don't give up. Sometimes it's experimental. You start meeting with somebody and you realize this is not really going very well. Our personalities don't mesh. Uh, we don't think alike. Uh, I think we have, Houston, we've got a problem. We've got a mismatch. That's okay. The book I wrote on Christian living, it was, it's a, a book on discipleship. And one thing I specifically say in there is when you're embarking on a discipleship relationship with another people, which I have been doing for 25 years as a Christian, and not because I am a genius, it's because when I got saved, young, some men of God took me into their life and discipled me on a regular basis. I didn't even know what they were doing. I thought we were just getting together, having a good time. Oh, this is, wow, I've been discipled for four years by this guy. How faithful, how amazing. But one thing that I, that I learned is when you are embarking on a discipleship relationship with another person is don't make a lifelong commitment. Okay, it's like you're getting married. Let's do this for the next 10 years. Not, ain't gonna work. Cause life won't allow it. You know, go, hey, let's do something for three months. Let's try reading a book together. Let's pray together. Let's meet twice a month for the next three months. Let's uh, do it for six months and then we'll reevaluate and see how it's going. And then each person has an out. Maybe God wants to do something new in three or six months. It's a good way to do it. Uh, so those are just some good thoughts. And so I'll close with this encouragement for all of us in the way we did for the older men of God last week. Think right now of an older godly woman currently in your life or an older godly woman who is influential in your life. Ideally, somebody that you can talk to, communicate with, send a letter to, an email, a note of encouragement. And I just challenge you to pray for that person. Thank God for that woman of God, the influence that they had for good in your life. And if you can, encourage them. Phone call, uh, a note, and letting them know how God used them in your life. And I was thinking that through this week. Um, some of the older men of God that really blessed me were people I had at the Master's College 22 years ago. And they're still there, and now they're teaching my daughter. It's like, wow, I'm going to write him a note. Hasn't heard from me in 20 years. Or even some godly women that teach there. But encourage them. And that's just going to be a tremendous blessing to them. And they'll think, wow, they, they'd had no idea the commitment that they gave to you, influenced you in such an amazing way for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And they will richly be blessed. What a gift you can give to those people. Well, with that, let's go ahead and commit our time to the Lord and thank Him for our time together. Father, we do thank You for our time together, especially in the Word, talking about these very important real-life issues of Older godly men and older godly women. We do thank you for the older godly women that you have used, Lord, in all of our lives. All the way from, maybe it was our mothers who imparted the faith to us. Or other influential women in the church or some Christian woman for a short period of time in our life that was used by you to challenge us, to encourage us, to edify us. Thank you for the wonderful gift that they are. We thank you, Lord, for the older godly women that you've given to GBF. Compliment their ministry. Expand their ministry. God, help uh, older women who are thinking about whom they can disciple and teach that you'd bring someone into their life that they can bless. And uh, God, help the younger women who are, have that desire to be discipled by another woman that you'd answer their prayer, you'd be very specific, and you would bless that relationship all for your good and all for your glory. We thank you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. 
For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.